Hey. Hi. How's it going? Good. Been a minute. Right. Been a minute. For those of you who may not know, I am SF Rogers, author of Execration of Autumn, which is not released yet, but will hopefully be by the end of the year. And I am DL Golden, uh, author of Origins and the Dreamcatcher series, working on the sequel. <laughs> so that one is out on Amazon now if you're looking for it. Sounds good. Uh, disclaimer, we don't do this full time. Yes. Anything that we say is complete opinion on our part. We are not telling you that we know the best way to do things. So don't take our word as gospel. <laughs> now, since this one is full spoilers, I am the de facto um, head of understanding this lore that I've written, I guess. So anything I said can also be taken with a grain of salt because I basically have no idea what I'm talking about. So it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So... So, in case you're wondering, yes, we are getting ready to spend this episode spoiling this book right here. So, I first, I have to say, the cover artwork on this is breathtaking. Like, it's just so good. And once you get into the book and you kind of understand how each of these things play in... It's insane, right? Like how Charlie is all of these things. Right. Charlie is all of these things. So I had a friend. She saw this book sitting on my coffee table. She's like, you have a book with dinosaurs. And I was like, I have a book with dinosaurs. Yes, I do. <laughs> it does have that. That seems to be the thing people notice the most. Perky really did a good job the, representing that. He did. Alex Perkins did a great job. So that is our shameless plug for Alex and his artwork. He is uh, invaluable in making sure that we get our characters across the way that we see them in our head. Right. So, 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 I'm so excited to ask these questions. Right. Because you know how much of a geek I am for lore. So, in chapter one, it opens with an error code. Mm-hmm. Um... That should have been the first clue at the sci-fi kind of twist at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like it should have been, like, the thing that's like, okay, there's something else going on. But, like, how did you come up with that opening for that error code? Like, Oh, it's going to sound so stupid. Um, <laughs> uh, so Never stupid. Sitting at uh, school one day, I always have um, lo-fi music playing for my kids on Spotify, and I, I opened it up one morning and I kept getting error, error application not found, error application not found. And so I continued to try and open it and it, it happened multiple times. And finally, when it opened, the entire app was just completely screwed up. And <laughs> so I had to literally uninstall the whole thing. But I got to thinking, I'm like, that's a great opening that can grab your attention and say okay why all of a sudden am i already getting an error code the second i try to load into this world right and so that was that was my thought and you notice that right after that it goes memory fragmentation may have occurred and that ends up being a through line through the entire story for size that because of that error that he encountered going in he has no memories of anything He spins like the whole book. He spins the whole book going, y'all, I have no idea what's happening right right now. (laughs) And that's what Emily Emily asked me when she first read it. And that's my wife, for anybody wondering. She 
she goes, he's kind of an idiot, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely he is. Yes. I was never going to say that out <laughs> loud, but he's like, there was a part in the book where he said something and I literally put the book down. I looked at Davy and I was like, oh, sigh. <laughs> oh, baby sigh. I love you so much, sir. Like that. Oh, bless, bless your heart, well, boy. Bless you, your heart. As you get into it, and I guess we can we can spoil that along the way. You realize, yeah. that, you know, he's he's born yesterday, you know, and so yes. it it makes sense. Quite literally, nothing <laughs> makes sense to him. The whole world is this right. jarring, unnatural thing that he can't seem to wrap his head around. Why it seems wrong to him, and right he he never gets to a point where he's like yeah this makes complete sense it just doesn't no, happen he doesn't and um the how nonchalantly everyone talks about the tomes mm-hmm. and size like in my head i could just see like the wheels turning like what the hell what what the hell do you mean people use books like what the hell what? is going on <laughs> because there's no like there's no other way like he he never says that out loud, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's never, like, a line where he's like, what the hell? But, like, in my mind, in that situation, the first, like, I, the confusion of, like, what do you mean he's using a book to kill people? Right. Like, what do you mean a flaming sword comes out of this book? Like, what the hell is going on? Right. He he wakes up and hopes to find some life-saving campfire and walks into a guy massacring an entire village. And so. <laughs> and saves someone. Right. And he, I mean, he just kind of gets thrown into the, his instincts say, okay, I have to protect these people, but he doesn't know anything that's going on. And it is apparent throughout the entire book that his only motivation is to protect these people. And you never get a real reason why until you get to that ending. Well, and so it, Michelle and Amy, Mm -hmm were two characters that I'm just going to say as a woman, it was really cool to see strong female leads. Mm-hmm. Anime anime is really good about having equal, like especially like My Hero Academia, there are equal female leads that are powerful, just like the male leads are powerful, right? Like they have their, yes, they have different powers, but they have powers they they do protect people and it was one thing while I was reading the book that I was like okay so these two women like they are a force to be reckoned with even though Sai is sometimes a complete idiot they are they are very they're very strong like I super appreciated the way that you wrote them that like yes um there's a line where he's I think it's Michelle no Amy. It's Amy. They call her something. And I can't remember what they call her at the... I'm so awful. Like, I know what I'm trying to say. Duh. Abrasive. Alistair calls her it. Abrasive. Yes. Abrasive. He calls her abrasive. And I read that line and I had to stop. And I was like, how many times because of the personality that I have, have I been called intimidating? No. Is she actually abrasive or does her personality rub you wrong? Like, is she the type that it just rubs you the wrong way? Mm-hmm. Well, and the the line becomes, she hates being called abrasive. And you get, you, you'll get more of that in the second book 
um, of why that is, of why her personality is the way that it is. But she's this headstrong woman. She's not, she is not one to be pushed around by Alistair, which is the older essential team lead that they end up with. Um, But you hear the way she reacts when he calls her it as an equal at the time. And the way that she reacts to it when she is called it by Silas when they appear at the Citadel. When Alistair calls her it, she bulls up and gets angry. And it's like, okay, I this is just the way I act. You're just calling my personality trash. You don't like the way I act. Yeah. You don't like the way I speak out. But when Silas says it, it's a mentor, someone she looks up to that she that is far above her. That when he says it, mm-hmm. she crumples down and it actually hurts. And yeah. you're going to get further in into that information later on. But it comes with the fact that she is the wielder of Odyssea. And so that is the Odyssey and based off of Odysseus. And so Odysseus is this headstrong leader. He has to be. And so is she. And... Mm-hmm. Being a headstrong leader in that sense gets her into trouble with people that she is supposed to be following or people mm-hmm. that are supposed to be above her. And so right. it comes off as abrasive and it's something she cannot stand to be called. And I wanted to make sure that that was reiterated that it was something she doesn't like to be called. It's a label that has been given to her because she is a headstrong woman it's not something that you would generally call a guy that is acting like that, you know? No, not at all. And, and I think, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're good. I think that's the thing for me that stood out again, because I have, I have a very loud personality. Anybody who knows me will tell you, like, I just have a loud personality. And when I heard, like I read, he called her abrasive in the way that, she, uh, that Alistair, when he called her abrasive and the way that she acted, like I have felt that, right. Yeah. I've had people be like, you are intimidating. And I've literally spun around on people and been like, am I intimidating or are you intimidated? Cause those are two different things. Right. Um, you just don't. So it was really cool for me to be able to relate to something, um, happening to that character. That like, yes, while Silas, what Silas said hurt her and and you see the difference in that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think it, towards the end of the book, the fact that she's abrasive and she can take, like, she can take that red personality, that red leadership role, Mm -hmm. like really stood out when they're running from Oswald. But we'll get to that, I guess, in a minute. Right. Did you intend to like set these two women up as, as these headstrong women? Yeah, um, they are, they are supposed. Amy's supposed to be this competent, um, strong person, strong lead. She's the headstrong one that Sai just isn't. Um, yeah, Sai has essentially one motivation throughout the entire story, and that's to protect Michelle and Amy and to find his lost memories. Right. And so he's not, he's not going to force his way through anything. It's going to be, okay, what, did, what do I need to do? What do I need to conform to, to find what I need? Amy, on the other hand, is supposed to be a foil in that sense. And then Michelle plays a, at first we see her as the damsel in distress, right? Um, 
a line that mm-hmm. I just honestly can't stand because there's not much beyond a character trait when that happens. Um, she ends up being the damsel in distress. Insert heavy eye roll. <laughs> for, right. She ends up being the damsel in distress for a lot of the book until you get to the very end and all of a sudden she has to change. And I wanted it to be this 180 of, okay, I have this headstrong character and I have this more meek character, but the headstrong one is not going to be the one that takes the final blow and finishes it. Um, So, and that's why I made sure to set Michelle up as, okay, she can perform these things, but she's not got the constitution that Amy has. But when push comes to shove and she has to, she does and can, was more my thought. Right. So you brought up Silas when we started talking about how Amy felt about being called abrasive. That character gave me so many red flags when, like, when we first get into, what do you call your, he's, he's a douche canoe. I'm so glad you said it. Like, let's see, where is it? I had chapters marked and then. Well, yeah, we're we're a little off from the weeks we were going to do this. I well, definitely understand. Yes, it's okay. I did have chapters marked, though. Um... <laughs> the Citadel. Yes. That's what you call it. Yeah. I should know that because my castle in the Autumn Court is called the Citadel. <laughs> so, when they show up, like when they show up at the Citadel and they... He only requires Sai to come into the room. Like everything in me was like, Sai's gonna, Sai's gonna get killed. Like he's gonna kill him. He's gonna kill him right here. Like this is gonna happen. Um, how? Like I still don't know how I feel about this man, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a part of me that wants to believe that he's protecting the Dreamcatcher. Like there's a part of me that wants to believe he has good intentions for the overall Dreamcatcher. Mm-hmm. But there's another part of me. But, like, how do you sacrifice people to these books and then not question where the other people go when they don't come out the way you think that they should? Mm -hmm. Like, how did you come up with that character? Because that's such a diverse, like, I want to like him. Mm -hmm. I want to believe he has good intentions. But I also have all these questions of, like, why didn't you ask where these people were going when a book devoured them or when, when the book didn't spit them back out? So Silas is very much based on a, essentially he's a religious zealot um, in the sense that he thinks of these tomes as um, divine, divine, they're kind of all seeing um, in his eyes. Uh, Omni, omni, omnipresent. Omnipresent. And so they, the tome, the system that controls the tome knows all. And so if there is darkness in your heart, the tome devours you. And in his mind, you die, right? The people that he knows that have come back from the trial of the tome are those that survive it via the actual trial, the light, right? When a person is consumed by the tome, they are trapped within it for an inordinate amount of time. Um, or they are pulled in and never escape it at all. Um, and right. so when he says the tome will decide, he says, okay, the tome scans this person's heart. 
if they are, if they have evil intention, if they were going to do something evil in the future, if they have done something evil in their past that we are not aware of, it will take care of this for us. We don't need to go through and investigate this stuff because putting them through the trial, either they are good or they are bad. Black, white. And so he says, if they are evil, they will come out. They will be trapped in there. They won't be a problem anymore. If they are good, they will come out. They can serve on behalf of the Citadel and purge the world of said darkness. Right? And you see later that it's obviously not a perfect system. Um, That he has a fundamental misunderstanding of what the Tome actually does. Um, yeah. And he cannot see that he could possibly be wrong. And it's a trait that stems from the fact that he is wielding 84, which is obviously based on 1984. And his society that he has formed around the Citadel, around everything, is very Orwellian. And so it is people are kept in control through fear and manipulation and surveillance. And so as long as he can keep an eye on them, as long as he can keep them in line, he can keep control and maintain order within the world. He has, he just has an idea that he is the only person able to maintain that kind of control without chaos breaking loose. And again, we'll see more on that come the second book. We just there's a lot of world building that had to be done in the first, and so I couldn't cover right. everything there. Right. Well, and so one thing that I super appreciate at the very end, like it becomes adamantly clear that while he's in his mind, he has everything yeah. under thumb, like he knows all of it. He is so far left of center mm. that it's not even funny, like how far left he is on from being right. Yeah. And uh, like you had multiple characters, though, in the book that I was like, I don't think I like this person. <laughs> Alistair being one of them. So like I, when you introduced Alistair, he treated Amy like she was incompetent. Like the way he talked to her just made me feel like he thought she was incompetent. And I super got defensive. I was like, wait a minute. Like Amy and Michelle, they know what they're doing. Like Mm -hmm. they know, they know what they're doing. Why are you treating them this way? And then as the book went on, like, I was like, okay, wait a second. Like, Maybe he's not so bad, but like, how did you, I guess you and I've talked about like creating a character and dropping them in the world. Um, With Alistair, he's dealing with grief. And I think one of the beautiful things that you do is you, you kind of cover that base of like a parent loses a child and the way that they do things from that point on with the other children or a trainer loses a trainee, whatever Mm -hmm. they change the way that they look at like their teaching or their, or their training regimen or whatever. Like they, they re-evaluate possibly to the wrong end of the spectrum. Right. Mm -hmm. I think you did that very beautifully. How did you manage that with Alistair? Like, how did you come up with that for his 
kind of character development. So Alistair in the beginning starts as a red herring. He's supposed to be um, this aggressive, misogynistic um, thing. And it shows Mm -hmm. that, oh, this could actually be the villain of our story. Yeah. Right. And um, as it went, I wanted to give him a reason for why he was unwilling to accept um, people that come into his life like Amy. Um, he has had dealings with Amy in the past. They have obviously worked the Citadel together for a while. And Amy being a headstrong young woman versus the man who... Misogynistic. Yeah, thinks he knows everything. <laughs> um, they, they tend to butt heads. But you learn later on that a lot of his keeping people at arm's length, he pushes... He doesn't, uh, he speaks to Amy like she's a child. He just keeps everybody below him so he can essentially keep an eye on them. Because the last time he let people in, the last time he took pity on someone, they turned around and his daughter died for it. And because of that, he blames himself for her death and he can't move past the fact that what had happened there um, could have been prevented had he just left the boy to die. Mm -hmm. And he, so he tends to keep everyone at arm's length until it becomes apparent to him that doing so is going to get more people killed. And regret, and um, against his better judgment, he then, um, finds an ally in Psy and they work together later on in the book to save the girls yeah. at that point. Well, and talking about Alistair, so Oswald, mm-hmm. I remember messaging you about this character yes. because you were describing him and I was like, oh my gosh, he looks like Davy. And then I got like another chapter in and I remember messaging you and I was like, does this douchebag die? Like, <laughs> does he go away? <laughs> And I remember you being like, you're not very far into it yet. I, so he was definitely a character I love to hate. Like, um, he, <laughs> the way he made Cy uncomfortable, like that alpha male, like intimidation factor made me giggle. I was like, I know so many men who like a guy comes by and they're like, yep, nope, I am the big man, you know, right. like that. But then he used Michelle as a weapon. Right. And I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, what is happening? (laughs) And then, come to find out, he's using one of my favorite books, A Picture of Dorian Gray, as his tome to make him into, like, this monster thing. Mm -hmm. And then you twisted it on me and made me like him at the end of the book. And like Oswald's character was one of these characters that I literally didn't know one chapter to another, like how I was going to feel about him because there was one part in the book where Amy cuts his fingers off. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then we get to the end of the book and him and Alistair are fighting. And I'm like, they're both just grieving like what is happening right now he just wants the love of his life back it was the dynamic between them um 
is he going to have a role in the next book? Like, are we going to see more of him using Dorian Gray? Yes, we will see him more. Um, the unfortunate part is that through the transformations that he's taken, um, he has damaged his tome irreparably. Um, he So Dorian Gray, the way it works in my story is that it offers a two-sided coin. So the person can swap bodies with another version of themselves. Um, and it can allow them to transform or change in ways um, that would be unthinkable to other people. Um, and we see that the Isurak form that comes up, this giant monster caribou half-man form that he takes, Thing. is... <laughs> a response to a need that he had. So Rourke comes up, comes around and says, I need potential yielder wilders. Um, they, and so he is tasked with kidnapping these wilders, many of them being children. Isurak is a monster from native American mythology that is known for kidnapping yeah. children. And so I was really surprised to see that FYI. Right. Congratulations on that. Like I was really, really happy to see that. And so it appears to him as a need that he needs to be able to take these kids. Um, and so the tome grants him that, even though it's not a good thing. Um, and we see that Oswald will have more of a role here. I'm not sure how much in the second book, um, because I, I know where the story is going and it follows Amy heavily. Um, hence the name Odyssea, right? Um, right? It follows her heavily, but Oswald will get more development. We do see that a lot of his um, overarching arc went through in the first book, right? Because he starts out, you trust him. He's this guy that's been working on the sidelines. He's lost the love of his life, um, which is Alistair's daughter. And mm -hmm. he is doing everything he can to bring her back, whether that means burning the world to the ground in the process or not. Right. He is going to complete that. And in his fight with Alistair, a vestige of her appears from the tome and speaks to him. And yep. he begins to turn around and understand that this is not what she would want. This is not how this should be going. Um, right. And so I'm not sure how much further I plan on taking him. I'm kind of a pantser in the way that I write. So when, if the character speaks yeah, to me in a like way, me. it might, it might change. But as of right now, he has had a role in the beginning early chapters. Uh, obviously he and Amy and Michelle are not on the best of terms. Um, he used Michelle as a weapon! <laughs> so, it, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to weave, I think, throughout the second book. But I, I do like his character a lot. Um, and I think that once I can move him past the damage and the harm he has done with his tome, I think I could, I could see doing a lot more with it. If that makes sense. Right. Oh, for sure. For sure. O'Rourke. Well, no. Let's go back. Zaman? Zaman? Zaman. How do you say Zaman. Zaman. Okay. I don't trust her. <laughs> I didn't trust her when she found Sai and Alistair and took them with her. I don't, I just, I just don't. I, I 
I firmly believe she's playing both sides of the system. Um, she is epitome of morally great. Like yeah. she's so morally great. I don't know what decisions she's making that are beneficial for the dream catcher and what decisions are beneficial just stri- for her. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. How did you come up with this morally gray character? I wanted I wanted a character that was going to be able to help Sai and Alistair when they were at their lowest points here, right? I needed someone that was going to step in when they were so desperate that they were not able to refuse help. And she did. And she did. Um, but tr- not trusting her is th- was the plan for her all along. You learn that she has been, um, she is the granddaughter of Silas. He, um, (laughs) she had a defect inside the system. And so when he put her through the trial, she was trapped for years and years and years and years. And she's angry. And you can tell that she's angry with him because she is working so hard to raise up two people that are obviously not on the side of the Citadel anymore. Right. When she finds them, they're being hunted. Right. By Oswald. By, uh, by, but uh, Oswald has taken the girls. Yes. And uh, And that other girl. Yeah. Umbra comes to, (laughs) comes to retrieve them and they decide that they're going to find the girls instead of go back. And so, Silas has an order out for their execution. And you find out that she, in the very epilogue of the book, and I don't know if we're going to talk about that, we see her again. Because when they leave her in the forest there, we don't see her again for the rest of the actual story. She doesn't appear again until the epilogue, and that's because she's going to play a major role in that second book. Right. There was a line that I wanted to, that you wrote from Zayman that I, like every, every chapter has something where size like, but saving them is my goal. Like saving the girls. That's my whole goal. Right. And it's like, sir, there's more going on. Are you in this? Like, are you in this whole story? Oh, where is it? Well, I'll have to think about it and ask you in a little bit. But I literally just had, like, there were so many conversations that they were going through, that Zayman was going through. Mm-hmm. So, see, a uh, feeling that it was better for me to live with corruption than to risk my life in the trial, my parents refused. As time went on, the dreams got worse, and I began to fear falling asleep together. Her tone was focused and sullen. I refused to eat or drink. I thought starving had to be better than being tortured to the point of madness every night. As my constitution worsened, I ended up hospitalized, and my parents made the decision that would ultimately cost them everything. They asked my grandfather to administer the trial as some last-ditch effort to save me. Um, so like at that point, you're starting to feel bad for her. Yeah. You're like, oh my gosh, she's like struggling with these nightmares that, because no one knows. Yes. Right. Sigh, sigh. Cause you don't even find out that this is like a whole big 
program, mm -hmm. like it's a, it's a program for people in space. You don't figure that out till the end. So she's talking about like having these nightmares mm -hmm. and like literally nothing has helped her. No one can help her. And so they take her and do the like last ditch thing that they can do. And part of me is like, that's so bad. Like, that's so awful. I hate that for her. But it didn't change the fact that there was something about her that just didn't sit. It felt very manipulated. Mm -hmm. Her training them, she gaslit them on so many levels. And like rereading the chapters, I saw the gaslighting more mm -hmm. knowing the end, right? So like I knew when she was like, you have to train harder. Like you have to train faster. You have to train harder. She was gaslighting them to get Sai to a place where like, she now has two, like you said, she now has two people who are willing to like fight against what the Citadel is doing mm -hmm. and willing to do whatever it takes to stop them. And that was, that to me made me really leery of her character and of the, of the things she was doing. And then in the, in the epilogue, I was like, yep, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> well, and you have to ask yourself, why is she so concerned with um, Rourke running around with Inferno. Why is this a problem right. for her? Right? Because right. she's been in hiding all this time. She could stay in that bunker and not be affected by him at all. And no one would have ever known. Right? But she brings Sai out of this point of this fledgling character to someone who is now able to affect things at a molecular level to, um, to fight and stop this other person. And you have to ask yourself, is she doing that because he is not a person she wants to deal with herself? And then when you see her in the epilogue, she wanted to be captured and returned to the Citadel. There's a reason she stops there. There's a reason she yeah. is like, yeah, we're guilty. Give us the trial. They take them nice. back there for a reason. And the... That's going to become really apparent in the second book that there is more going on to her than just some altruist who wants to help them save these people who were taken. Right. And the same thing happens with Alicia, who is her cohort. Her helper. Right. Uh -huh. And um, they are working together. They obviously have their own plans floating around that they right. need an, a means to an end for. And desperate people can provide a means to an ends in that way that's true so that's true. and that's and which is why rourke used oswald yep and why rourke could get in with oswald was because he was desperate yeah in his grief yes because he'd have done anything at that point to yeah. get her back oh yeah oh for sure bringing up rourke good lord talk about religious trauma <laughs> Like, I'm reading about this guy. Um, uh, I found it awesome that your villain is technically using Hellfire to cleanse the Dreamcatcher. Mm -hmm. Like, why Dante? Like, what, what was the driving force behind Dante being his tome? So, Inferno ends up being his tome because... The entire message in Inferno um, has to do with if you are not a perfect person in your life, 
you if you have these vices, if you have these issues, you're going to burn for eternity. Yeah. And I wanted to write him as a character that saw what he was doing as correct. Um, probably going to get me in so much trouble. But growing up it, in a Christian household, the idea was always, it is our job to make sure that people don't go to hell, right? It is our right. job to evangelize people, right? And so yeah. in my mind, he became a character that it was his job to make sure that people knew what really existed, what reality right. really was. And what better analog for that than a person who is stuck so heavily in their religious ideals that they are willing to burn people to ashes in order to see them liberated or free. Right. right? And so I thought the modern day concept of hell tends to radiate out of those ideas of inferno and paradise lost and things like that. And I thought, yeah, I can use this tome and grow this tome. You see him anthologize it later on into um, Purgatorio. And so it uh -huh. becomes a secondary tome, an evolved tome, um, which has different abilities. But he is very much a catalyst for people who cannot see the error of their ways and cannot see that harming other people is no way to save people. Right. If that makes well, sense. and I think, and I think coming from coming from the background, coming from the background that we come from, um, it, it very much there were things that Rourke said toward the end in the last fight where he's kind of you feel like he's losing his mind. Yeah, and he is. Like he's like he's taken it so far that he's now like literally losing his mind. Like he's insane mm -hmm. and not just like, Oh, he's a villain insane. like, no, like this man has lost it. Like he has lost all bearing on what's happening. Like he has no compassion. There's no grace. There's nothing. Um, I think it was really cool to, to show how Inferno not only damaged everyone that he attacked, but it also hurt, harmed him yeah. like it also changed him yeah because you see that he before he's Rourke he because he is Virgil the brother mm -hmm. of Michelle and she does not remember him in this way she does not remember him being this bloodthirsty monster right that he his psyche is so fractured by mm -hmm. dealing with the trial when you really think about it, if you look back at the trials Psy went through, you watch him fall through these eons of time because he's falling through um, on the origin of species, right? And so yeah. Psy sees all this stuff. It makes you ask, what on earth then did Virgil go through when he is dropped into this trial when Inferno. the security of Inferno is set in the depths of hell? And so... He goes through and you see him when he is talking to Amy and Michelle in the basement. He taps her on the head with that tome and she, Amy experiences these excruciating visions. And he tells her that that was his, that was his hell for two whole years. That right. he was trapped just like Zalman was, but in a much worse place. 
and well, it broke him. And when and he it raises, rises, he wants to make sure no one else suffers that fate, but he does it in such a negative way. Right. It 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 goes back to the question of like, are the tones what really should be used? Mm-hmm. Right. Like it 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 really raises that question of like, are we doing more harm than good? Right. You know. Yeah, and they. They, the thing is, people in the Dreamcatcher don't seem to realize that those people that go in and are rejected by the tome are trapped inside that tome for a much longer period of time. Even if you go in and it accepts you, you can be in there for years and years and years, but only minutes pass. Whereas Zaman goes mm-hmm. and it's been forever when she gets out of there. And her pain. Yep gone and the world has forgotten about her and so it's that's when Amy tells Silas it's not a litmus test it's an execution and he Mm -hmm. uh, scoffs at her and sends her on her way it's very much that everybody else can see it or several people who have gone through it can see it but Silas just is unable to right Right. It was, it was just trippy to like, right now we live in an era where everybody writes villains where they, they get their redemption. So like Loki in the MCU, like he was a bad guy when he started. And then by now Loki has his own show. He's beloved. One of my favorite characters, right? Mm -hmm. Me writing my own villain there my villain is doing things that are literally unforgivable. Like there, there's no going back. Like the, the things that he's doing is no going back. And I feel like the more that Rourke used Inferno, Mm -hmm. the deeper he got where there was literally no way to save his mind from what the tone was doing to him. Mm -hmm. Because, um, Michelle asks him or Michelle tells him she's like you're my brother like Virgil and he looks at her and he's like don't call me that mm-hmm. like that's gone and that screams of um brainwashing by the things that he's going through using that tome and it, it also begs the question of like when you use your tome what's it doing yeah. to you fundamentally as a person because we see it in Oswald too of like there for a while, like in some of the chapters, he doesn't ever go back to human form. He stays mm-hmm. in beast form. Like every time you see him, he's the beast. And it, it kind of begs the question of like, are you doing not only irreparable damage to this body, mm-hmm. but like your mind where there is no rede- like there's no way to redeem you at the end of it like there's there's nothing left and that you've definitely did that very very well with Rourke of like the redemption could be there but like he's so fragmented he's not going to stop yeah and so at the end of it he has to end up being killed yeah and which is you don't see that right now. Not in this time. A lot of people would rather, oh, we'll redeem them, which is great. Redemption arcs are phenomenal. But I think there's a depth to he is so damaged. Mm-hmm. And he is so 
mentally broken that there is no like there's literally no space for anything else yeah and if we don't if we don't end this like end it end it now he is he's going to be detrimental to literally everyone not just the citadel not just a couple of tome wielders here or there he's going to break the entire system which is why kai sent cyan Mm -hmm. yes so anomalies so bringing up chapter 23 kai she's based on your kid yeah she's based right (laughs) very much so um i wanted a godlike figure that did not seem like a godlike figure um yeah to step in and be um there to act as guidance and throughout the story you hear characters go oh thank the gods and you yeah. don't know to whom they're referring until right. you figure out, oh, Kai is Kai might be one of these people that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is very much based on Kyrie. Um, she <laughs> she's this brash um, four year old kid who ended up creating the entire thing, and we'll learn more about why she was placed in there the way she was. Because in, I think in one of the chapters, um, in 23, Sai says, he puts you in here as a four-year-old. And she said, I don't think he had a choice. Right. And we're going to learn more about that later on because they don't have a lot of time to discuss what has happened. Well, and, and she very quickly tells him, Sai is not your name. It's, it's initials. It's S-A-I. Mm-hmm. You are my that SAI. Sh- yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, that was my, that was my thought from the beginning that I could use a name that I've absolutely loved forever. Uh, yeah. And turn it into something that meant something to the overarching story. And I think it ends up being like a system analysis and infiltration. Security, analytics, and infiltration. Security, analytics, and infiltration. (laughs) And he is, half of his construct is the the security system inside of the Dreamcatcher. He is there as an antivirus, essentially, to deal with things that have uh, happened. But he is also part human based on the consciousness data of the boy who boarded the ship without permission and was dying. And we'll learn more later on why Kai couldn't just watch him die. She couldn't just leave him there, even though her dad says, don't do this. It's not your right. And she died anyway. Um, But I, I loved her character. I wrote her after I finished my first draft, I wrote her into the second, into the second book when I started writing on it. And I said, I've really got to get her into this for this first book somewhere. And um, that was actually before the ending was solidified. Psy was going to be the hero there and stop, um, stop uh, Rourke, but still die. I mean, he was still, he was going to die, um, but Rourke was going to be stopped by him. And I thought it so much more poetic that the meek, quiet girl um, that we have not really been following this whole time, that she's kind of been off on this side lane. Um, right. While, while we follow Psy, 
I thought, what a great twist to say that, no, Sai's not the hero to begin with. It was always Michelle. She was always going to be the one to do it. And mm-hmm. I thought that was that was really, really nice and gave her some actual closure with the character rather than Sai being the one to finally end her brother. And it... So when when Sai's in talking to Kyrie, because so chapter twenty three, I had no idea what was going. Like I started twenty three and I was like, wait, 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 right, wait, that's wait, a good fight, right? Yeah, what is happening? And I was at the, I was at a ball game. I was at a baseball game watching our nephew, and I literally had to stop. And I was like, I'm gonna go back to twenty two because I don't know where I lost track of what is actually happening mm-hmm. and oh our our sister-in-law was like are you okay and i was like this man just threw me a curveball that i totally had no idea what was happening but i loved like i absolutely loved where she so she tells him my sai and and he's like i'm not a program and she goes you are why don't you know and then it comes to the front where she's like system and the system responds and it comes up error code found code DC six seven eight encoding error memory fragmentation detected and then Kyrie Kai is like oh no oh no oh no daddy is gonna be so disappointed with me that kind of rounded it out okay that's why he has no memories like yeah. because he's he's a program like he's a program well he's it's not it's not just that it's the fact that the me- the human memories have to be repressed inside the dream catcher. So you'll notice mm-hmm. nobody talks about the past. Nobody talks about no. what happened because they are asleep and Kyrie's dreams have created this world around. Right. Um, right. And so their memories have been suppressed and replaced by new memories that fit the analogs of the world itself. And he doesn't have any memory, not because he's solely a program, but he doesn't have any memories because his body, the place that would store them is gone. They don't exist. He is, his consciousness was uploaded and his body has decayed in the ship itself. It doesn't exist any longer. And so he has no anchor back to the real world whatsoever. He is trapped there indefinitely. Right. And so, yeah, that was the whole point (laughs) to make it where he is this tragic character where he searched for these memories this whole time. And at the end of the day, they just don't exist. They just don't exist. And when you get into chapter 24 and you have 24 named reality and Kai is like um, several days. So she tells him. Each person down there is in a program. They're real, living, breathing human beings. Their bodies are in cryosleep aboard this ship. We're looking for a new home. I literally sat there and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) holy mackerel. And then she comes down and she says, uh, some life form was out of cryosleep and was freely roaming around. That life form turned out to be a 17-year-old boy. We didn't know it at takeoff, but we had a stowaway. 
This wouldn't have been a problem, but the ship was not equipped to have unprotected inhabitants wandering the floor. Over the next few days, I begged Daddy to let me contact the robotic engineers aboard and have them bring the boy to a pod, but he knew the layout of the ship. He knew all 153,000 cryopods were full, and we couldn't trade the life of one for another. And I literally stopped and was like, so she saved him, but he still died. Yeah. She and then he gets back in the system and he dies again. <laughs> yeah, because at the end of that chapter, she says, You don't have to do this, I'll find another way. And he refuses. And he does yeah. it anyway. And so she essentially scrapes his consciousness data out of his body using an unrefined mm-hmm. cryo chamber. And it can't preserve his body, but his mind is saved as a digital format inside the system itself. Yeah. And so while he has been saved, he's essentially a ghost. And Mm -hmm. he cannot leave the system. If he dies within the system, that's it. Um, it's, It's over. The consciousness data is wiped from that system not to be returned to the to the body like it normally would be. Um, sorry, I was reading something. You're fine. I, I literally like when Psy disappears, mm-hmm. like, and that's what I was trying to like find here. That'd be twenty five. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, because that's when Mich- like M- Michelle steps up. Yeah, because he's been propping her up this whole time essentially right hold on i'm not the hero of this story you are me no i'm no hero i have no tome no power i'm no one what riverside (laughs) you went black for a second there i still heard you yep uh you have the power to end this you have ever since we met in dion he held up a shaking hand. You are more than you will ever know, Michelle. You are the one who will protect everyone. Uh, she stared at the finch for a moment before looking to Rourke, who found his way to his feet. He stood for only a moment before collapsing to one knee. If this must be the end for me, I will assure the do- job is well done. He spat. The auxiliary just, oh my gosh, awaken one final time inferno. He turned back towards Sai and scooped the small incandescent bird into her hand. Sai smiled up at her one last time as he faded into a shower of golden sparks. Grief-stricken and angry, Michelle pressed the bird to her chest where it dissolved into her. Grabbing Amy's shield in one hand, she stood and faced work. I literally read that and was like, his main character, he killed this man killed his main character. His main character <laughs> yeah, is dead. I, I literally, I closed the book and Elia goes, what's wrong with you? And I was like, he let me get attached to someone and he killed him. His main character, you know, the one right here on the front of the book, just gone. Just gone. <laughs> and Aliyah goes, actually, I didn't tell Aliyah that. I was like, Aliyah, there's something that happens and I just don't even know if I'm okay with it because I was trying not to spoil it for her. And then she said, you know, Mom spoiled it. <laughs> yes, then Mom spoiled it. I tried so hard yeah. not to. I was like, I'm not going to spoil this for her. I'm going to let her read it. And then Mom was like, Yes, yeah, Sai dies. And I was like, he does die. I was so sad. Like I was, I am one of those people that like, I get super attached to characters, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm essentially, as I'm reading, I'm living the life with them, right? Like, yeah. which for a writer is really hard 
when you've created a character and you have to have to kill him off. Like I'm getting to that point right now in my own book. But as a reader, like you are invested in what Sai's doing because yeah. and what Sai, Amy, and Michelle are doing because the story basically involves all three of them. You don't know who Michelle is at the start, just like you don't really know who Sai is. You don't know Amy. And you get to know these complex personalities and these characters. And then Sai just disappears into a shower of awesomeness. Michelle kicks ass and Rourke dies. And they don't all live happily ever after because they're still being chased by the Citadel. Zaman and her girl are literally now going to Silas and like, hey, we're back. (laughs) What now? Like, And I literally, I put your book down and it will be one that I reread. I will reread it over and over. And I think it's refreshing because so many, so many books are just, we'll use Beauty and the Beast, for example. There are so many versions of that story where Mm -hmm. girl meets really rough guy or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Something happens. They fall in love guy girl becomes the better part of themselves or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think a lot of those tropes are overdone. Yours though was different in the fact that like I liked and I don't want to call them a thruple thruple, but I will because that's what it feels like Mm -hmm. to me um, is that they all love each other. Like there is that love between them where they're willing to like lay down their life for each other in a way that you don't you don't see a lot with a trio you see it mostly in duos so it was really cool to see that and i was i was really kind of excited to see because i don't think that's the i want to say as a reader that that's not the end for sai like that we'll see him some iteration of him again now his avatar is probably gone if i remember what i read right but yes we'll see <laughs> some iteration yeah. of him We'll see some iteration of him again, I'm hoping, later on in the book. And if if Amy and Michelle stay together, my heart will be perfectly content. Like, I'll be so happy. But uh, I just, I was really, really, I'm really proud of you. And the book is, I was really excited. I'm really excited for the second one. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, well, and the way I wrote, they are dynamic. Essentially, it was, at first it was... Amy and Sai, I'm like, okay, I really like this couple pairing. I like the the idea of this. And and then it was Sai and Michelle. And I'm like, well, I could write this as a one of these love triangles that you always see. Um, but I think I liked it better to say that, especially after reading The Odyssey, <laughs> to say that Amy and Michelle were going to be the two that ended up together at the end of the book in a way that you wouldn't have expected. You see small glimpses of it when they're in the cave together. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I liked being able to subvert that and reverse that love triangle just a little bit. Um, I don't know what all is left for Psy. Um, I have, I have plans, you know, for the next oh, book yeah. and don't want to get, don't want to go spoiling too much for you. Yeah. Right. But I, uh, I will fly. I do plan on fleshing out relationships amongst those characters a lot more in the, in the sequel. And well, the so one thing, the one thing, like I said, the one thing that I really liked was that it didn't feel like, it didn't feel like a love triangle to me. Yeah. 
It felt like yeah. it felt like a like a throuple. It really did. It felt like the three of them operating together. Together. And that felt really it felt really fresh. It felt different than the well, he likes her, but now he likes her, but now they like it was just like right. they're one cohesive unit. And there's no jealousy angle there between the three right. of them. There right. is when when Cy meets uh, Oswald for the first time. You feel that jealousy. Um, for both of them. Has. Yeah. For both of and them. And <laughs> it, um, the, that element just is not there when it comes to the two Each of them. Other. So I see why they that. Yeah. It, it was when they met Oswald and the way he reacted, I was like, oh, he loves, he loves both of them. Like mm-hmm. he loves both of them and not just like, Hey, I like this one and I love this one, but like, Oh no, this is jealousy of like, Hey, those are my, those are my girls. Like those are, those right. are mine, you know, and not right. in that creepy obsessive way, but in that, like, Hey, wait a minute. Like I'm in love with them. Right. You cannot have them. <laughs> right. So it was, it just felt very fresh to me and it felt new and something that I did not expect it was it was really neat to see, and I'm really excited to see where you go with Amy and Michelle's relationship because I think that they they benefit each other in so many ways, and and I just I can't wait. I can't. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like I like them a lot, um, and I terrible about writing those kind of subplots, um, right. but it, it's going to play a major factor, obviously, coming the sequel. Um, cause there's that kiss right at the end and then you kind of just, the curtain just kind of falls. Yeah. Um, you just left me hanging. Yeah. <laughs> I don't leave a lot of falling action there. <laughs> um, but it, I, I, I'm excited to see what you think about the follow up when it's coming and I'm five chapters deep into Odyssey and now working on chapter six, I think. So nice. hopefully out by the end of the year with that one as well. So that'll be awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for this spoiler episode. It kind of uh, was random and I know jumped off the rails a little bit talking about stuff. But Daniel, thank you so much for like spilling the beans on all the things and talking to me about all these douche canoe characters you're good at writing. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It, uh, this is, hopefully you'll like them later. Well, I I enjoy even h- hating characters because there right. has to be conflict, right? Like if right. you if you're just writing fluff, it's <laughs> not going to keep my attention very well. So I super appreciate it. Um, next time we're on, hopefully we're talking about where I'm at at the end of Execration of Autumn. I'm in the last chapters of writing, so. I'm excited. I'm excited, but we will talk to y'all later. Thank you so much. I'm SF Rogers. I'm DL Golden. Have a good day. See you later.